Thanks to Acast for hosting and monetizing this podcast. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. Hello and welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I, I'm your host. She who just fucking loves reading shit aloud. Live. 
Like, why do I love just reading books aloud so much? No idea. I love it. I love, I really enjoy the recording process for these more than I do the episodes that I actually write. No idea why. I read all of them in the moment as I'm recording, and somehow I manage to read smoother than, yes, the ones I've written and thus definitely have seen before. Anyway, that's all to say. I love that you all enjoy reading episodes. I love that I can intersperse them with conversation episodes because they give me a bit more of a breather. They're easier to do. And sometimes I've even just have super productive streaks like earlier this week when I recorded three whole parts of a reading series for later in the year. And then, bam, they're ready, scheduled for when I'm in Greece. <sighs> so fun. Anyway, logistics aside, I am here today with a special combo reading of sorts to finish off poor, tragic Dianera's story and the fate of that hero, Hercules, as we will call him now because these are Roman texts. Hercules, who we know will leave this mortal coil. And then, of course, also the Hercules of it all. Do remember that you can refer to the link in this episode's description for a handy comparison name of who the gods are comparatively in Latin, if you are ever confused by the names. First, I'm going to read to you Ovid's Heroides for Dianera. She gets her own letter. Ovid's take on Dianera, just the warning, is really interesting. It's very different from Sophocles. And my tone in recording it really conveys that. It's difficult to say, you know, the intended tone. But I gathered from enough, I think, to get it pretty right. It is very interesting and very fun. Because, again, it's Ovid. Then I'm going to read to you a section from Ovid's Metamorphoses that covers much of this part of Heracles' story so that you can get a real idea of how Ovid handles this and how he inserts his trademark transformations, or <laughs> you might call them metamorphoses. Heracles' story in this section of Metamorphoses includes his fight with Achilles, told through Achilles' own voice. We get that reintroduction to his relationship with Dianera, along with what transpires in Sophocles' tragedy, but in Ovidian form. It's beautiful. Obviously, it's Ovid's Metamorphoses. And if I've taught you anything at all in all of these years, it should be that Ovid's Metamorphoses is fucking beautiful. This is Ovid's Heroides, Dianera's Letter to Hercules, translated by Grant Showerman. I render thanks that Icalia has been added to the list of our honors, but that the victor has yielded to the vanquish, I complain. The rumor has suddenly spread to all the Pelasgian cities, a rumor unseemly, to which your deeds should give the lie that on the man whom Juno's unending series of labors has never crushed, on him Ioli placed her yoke. This would please Eurystheus, and it would please the sister of the Thunderer, stepdame that she is. She would gladly know of the strain upon your life, but would give no joy for him whom, so tis believed, a single night did not suffice for the begetting of one so great. 
More than Juno, Venus has been your bane. The one, by crushing you down, has raised you up. The other has your neck beneath her humbling foot. Look but on the circle of the earth made peaceful by your protecting strength, wherever the blue waters of Nereus wind round the broad land. To you is owing peace upon the earth, to you safety on the seas. You have filled with worthy deeds both abodes of the sun. The heaven that is to bear you, yourself bore. Hercules bent to the load of the stars when Atlas was their stay. What have you gained but to spread the knowledge of your wretched shame? If a final act of baseness blots your former deeds... Can it be you that men say clutch tight the serpent's twain while a tender babe in the cradle, already worthy of Jove? You began better than you. Your last deeds yield to your first. The man you are and the child you were are not the same. He whom not a thousand wild beasts, whom not the Stellanian foe, whom not Juno could overcome, love overcomes? Yet I am said to be well-mated, because I am called the wife of Hercules, and because the father of my lord is he who thunders on high with impetuous steeds. As the ill-mated steer yoked miserably at the plough, so fares the wife, who is less than her mighty lord. It is not honour, but mere fair seeming, and brings dole to us who bear the load. Would you be wedded happily, wed your equal? My lord is ever absent from me. He is better known to me as guest than husband, ever pursuing monsters and dreadful beasts. I, myself, at home and widowed, am busy with chaste prayers, in torment lest my husband fall by the savage foe. With serpents and with boars and ravening lions, my imaginings are full, and with hounds three-throated hard upon the prey. The entrails of slain victims stir my fears, the idle images of dreams, and the omen sought in the mysterious night. Wretchedly I catch at the uncertain murmurs of the common talk. My fear is lost in wavering hope, my hope again in fear. Your mother is away, and laments that she ever pleased the potent god, and neither your father Amphitryon is here, nor your son Hylos, the acts of Eurystheus, the instrument of Juno's unjust wrath, and the long-continued anger of the goddess, I am the one to feel. Is this too little for me to endure? You add it to your stranger loves, and whoever will may be by you a mother. I will say nothing of Augie, betrayed in the vales of Parthenius, or of your hardships, nymphs sprung of Orminus, nor will I charge against you the daughters of Teuthras's son, the throng of sisters from whose number none was spared by you. But there is one love, a fresh offense of which I have heard, a love by which I am made stepdame to Lydian Lammas. The meander, so many times wandering in the same lands, who often turns back upon themselves his wearied waters, has seen hanging from the neck of Hercules, the neck which found the heavens but slight burden, bejeweled chains. Felt you no shame to bind with gold those strong arms, and to set the gem upon that solid brawn? Ah, to think it was those arms that crushed the life from the Nemean pest, whose skin now covers your left side. You have not shrunk from binding your hair with a woman's wrap. More meat for the locks of Hercules were the white poplar 
And for you to disgrace yourself by wearing the Meonian zone like a wanton girl, feel you no shame for that? Did there come to your mind no image of savage Diomedes fiercely feeding his mares on human meat? Had Bucerus seen you in that garb, he whom you vanquished would surely have reddened for such a victor as you. Antaeus would tear from the hard neck the hair-wrapped bands, lest he feel shame at having succumbed to an unmanly foe. They say that you have held the wool basket among the girls of Ionia, and have been frightened at your mistress's threats. Do you not shrink? Alcides, from laying to the polished wool basket the hand that triumphed over a thousand toils, do draw off with stalwart thumb the coarsely spun strands, and give back to the hand of a pretty mistress just the portion she weighed out. Ah, uh, how often while with dour finger you twisted the thread have your two strong hands crushed the spindle before your mistress's feet." and told of the deeds of which you should now say not, of enormous serpents throttled and coiling their lengths about your infant hand, how the Tigian boar has his lair on cypress-bearing Arimanthus, and afflicts the ground with his vast weight. You do not omit the skulls nailed up in the Thracian homes, nor the mares made fat with the flesh, of slain men, nor the triple prodigy Geriones, rich in Iberian cattle, who was one in three, nor Cerberus, branching from one trunk into a threefold dog, his hair inwoven with a threatening snake, nor the fertile serpent that sprang forth again from the fruitful wound, grown rich from her own hurt nor him whose mass hung heavy between your left side and left arm as your hand clutched his throat, nor the equestrian array that put ill trust in their feet and dual form, confounded by you on the ridges of Thessaly. These deeds can you recount, gaily arrayed in a Sidonian gown? Does not your dress rob from your tongue all utterance? The nymph daughter of Jardanus has even tricked herself out in your arms and won famous triumphs from the vanquished hero. Go now, puff up your spirit and recount your brave deeds done. She has proved herself a man by a right you could not urge. You are as much less than she, O greatest of men, as it was greater to vanquish you than those you vanquished. To her passes the full measure of your exploits. Yield up what you possess, your mistress is heir to your praise. O oh, shame that the rough skin stripped from the flanks of this shaggy lion has covered a woman's delicate side. You are mistaken, and know it not. That spoil is not from the lion, but from you. You are victor over the beast, but she over you. A woman has borne the darts blackened with the venom of Lerna, a woman scarce strong enough to carry the spindle heavy with wool. A woman has taken in her hand the club that overcame wild beasts, and in the mirror gazed upon the armor of her lord. These things, however, I had only heard. I could distrust men's words, and the pain hit on my senses softly, through the ear, but now my very eyes must look upon a stranger mistress led before them, nor may I now dissemble what I suffer. 
You do not allow me to turn away. The woman comes a captive through the city's midst to be looked upon by my unwilling eyes. Nor comes she after the manner of captive women, with hair unkempt and with becoming countenance that tells to all her lot. She strides along, sightly from afar in plenteous gold, apparelled in such wise as you yourself in Phrygia. She looks straight out at the throng, with head held high, as if t'were she had conquered Hercules. You might think Icalia standing yet, and her father yet alive. Perhaps you will even drive away Aetolian Dianera, and her rival will lay aside the name of mistress and be made your wife. Ioli, the daughter of Eurytus and Aeonian Alcides, will be basely joined in shameful bonds of Hymen. My mind fails me at the thought, a chill sweeps through my frame, and my hand lies nerveless in my lap. Me too, you have possessed among your many loves, but me with no reproach. Regret it not, twice you have fought for the sake of men. In tears, Achilles gathered up his horns on the wet banks of his stream and bathed in its clayly tide his mutilated brow. The half-man Nesso sank down in lotus-bearing Uvenus, tinged its waters with his equine blood. But why am I reciting things like these? Even as I write, comes rumor to me saying my lord is dying of the poison from my cloak. Alas me, what have I done? O oh, wicked Dianera, why hesitate to die? Shall my lord be torn to death on midmost Eta, and shall you, the cause of the monstrous deed, remain alive? If I have yet done aught to win the name of wife of Hercules, my death shall be the pledge of our union. You, Meleager, shall also deal in me a sister of your own. O oh, wicked Dianera, why hesitate to die? Alas, for my devoted house Agrius sits on the lofty throne, Aeneas is reft of all, and barren old age weighs heavy on him. Tydeus, my brother, is exiled on an unknown shore, my second brother's life hung on the fateful fire, our mother drove the steel through her own heart. O oh, wicked Dianera, why hesitate to die? This one thing I appreciate— by the most sacred bonds of our marriage bed, that I seem to have plotted for your doom, Nesso, stricken with the arrow in his lustful heart. This blood, he says, has power over love. The robe of Nessus, saturated with poisonous gore, I sent you. Oh, Dianera, why hesitate to die? And now fare you well, O aged father, and O my sister Gorge, and O my native soil, and brother taken from your native soil, and you, O light that shines today, the last to strike upon mine eyes, and you, my lord, O fare you well, would that you could, and Hylas, you, my son, farewell to you. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, 
Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, Dianera, truly now one of my favorite women of Greek myth. She's so tragic and naive in Sophocles, and she just did not deserve her fate. And then in Ovid's reading, like not to say she deserves her fate, but she seems so much more aware and angry. And she's just so, oh, she's just so interesting. This one, this one really got me. I was not expecting it reading this, this Herodes. And she's just, I can't tell if she gets happy by the end that she has caused Her- Hercules' death 
But it sure seems like it based on all the talk of Amphali and Ioli and just so how much she doesn't respect her husband after hearing all this. Oh, it that's fascinating. This one was amazing. <laughs> but we will leave Dianera's, well, this end of Dianera's story alone for a moment at least. And let's move on to look at how Ovid handles the story in his metamorphoses. Because here we get another version, one that's told by Ovid very differently from Sophocles, but not in Dianera's voice, in the voice of a couple different people, all fitted around these notions of transformation, as is all of Ovid's metamorphoses. For context, this section begins while none other than Theseus is speaking with the river god Achelous. And so it's Theseus who is first referred to in this passage. This is a selection from Ovid's Metamorphoses, Book 9, translated by Brooks Moore. To him the hero, who proclaimed himself a favored son of Neptune, answered now, Declare the reason for your heavy sighs and how your horn was broken. And at once the Caledonian river god replied, binding with reeds his unadorned rough locks. It is a mournful task you have required, for who can wish to tell his own disgrace? But truly I shall speak without disguise for my defeat, if rightly understood should be my glory. Even to have fought in a battle with hero of such might affords me consolation. Dianera, you may have heard some tales of her, was once the envied hope of many. She was then a lovely virgin— I, among the rest who loved this maiden, entered the fair home of her father, Aeneas, and I said, Consider all my claims, Partheon's son, for I am come to plead your daughter's cause and mine, so you may make me son-in-law. No sooner was it said than Hercules, in such words, also claimed the virgin's hand, all others quickly yielded to our claims. He boasted his descent from Jupiter, the glory of his labors and great deeds performed at his unjust stepmother's wish. But as he was not then a god, it seemed disgraceful if my state should yield my right, so I contended with these haughty words. Why should this alien of a foreign land, contending for your daughter, match himself to me, king of the waters in this realm? For as I wind around across your lands, I must be of your people, and a part of your great state. Oh, let it not be said, because the jealous Juno had no thought to punish me by labors, my descent is not so regal. This tremendous boast, that you, Alcmene's son, are sprung from Jove, falls at the touch of truth. Or it reveals the shame of a weak mother, who so gains your doubtful glory of descent from heaven. Prove your descent from Jupiter is false, or else confess you are the son of shame." But Hercules, unable to control the flame of his great wrath, scowled as I spoke. He briefly answered me, My hand excels my tongue. Let me now overcome and fight, and I may suffer your offensive words. 
Full of unvented rage, he rushed on me, but firm I stood, ashamed to yield a foot. I had so largely boasted, no retreat was left, and I was doffed to my green robe. Striking guard, with clenched hands doubled at my breast, I stood my ground. He scooped up his fine hand, yellow dust, and tossed it on the air so that the tawny powder sprinkled us. Quick shifting then, he sought to strike my neck or faint at my quick-moving legs and turned swift moving to attack me at all points. But as a huge cliff in the sea remains unmoved, unshaken by the sounding waves, so my great size against his vain attacks defended me securely. Back we went, retiring for a space, then rushed together again, furious and with foot to foot, determined not to yield. Defiant stood till, forward bending from my waist and hips, I pressed my forehead against his and locked his fingers into mine. So have I seen two strong bulls rush in combat for the good of some smooth heifer in the pasture, while the herd a tremble and uncertain wait, ready to give allegiance to the one most worthy of dominion. Thrice in vain Hercules strove to push my breast from his, but I pressed ever closer, till, the fourth attempt succeeding, he unloosed my grip, and breaking from my circling arms, drew back, and struck me such a buffet with his hand, it twisted me around, and instantly he clung with all his weight upon my back. Believe me, I have not suppressed the truth, nor shall I try to gain applause not due. I seemed to bear a mountain on my back, straining and dripping sweat. I broke his hold. With great exertion, I unlocked his grip. He pressed upon me as I strained for breath, preventing a renewal of my strength, and seized upon my neck. Then, at the last, my bent knee went down on the gritty earth. I bit the sand. So worsted in my strength, I sought diversion by an artifice, and changed into a serpent. I then slipped from his tight clutches at my great length, and coiled my body, now transformed to snaky folds. Hissing, I darted my divided tongue, but Hercules, Alcides, only laughed, and in derision at from my scheming, said, It was the pastime of my cradle days to strangle better snakes than you. And though your great length may excel all of your kind, how small a part of that Lernian snake would you, one serpent, be? It grew from wounds I gave. At first it had one hundred heads, and every time I severed one head from its neck, two grew there in place of one, by which its strength increased. This creature, then outbranching with strong serpents, sprung from death and thriving on destruction, I destroyed. What do you think will then become of you, disguised so in deceitful serpent form, wielding a borrowed weapon not your own? And after he had ridiculed me thus, he gouged his fingers underneath my jaws, so that my throat was tortured, as if squeezed with forcepts, while I struggled in his grip. Twice was I vanquished. There remained to me a third form, so again I changed to seem a savage bull, and with my limbs renewed in that form, fought once more. He threw his arms about the left side of my ponderous neck, and dragging on me followed as I ran. He seized on my hard horns, and tugging turned and twisted me until he fastened them firm in the surface of the earth, and pushed me, helpless, to the shifting sand beneath. Not yet content, he laid his fierce right hand on my tough horn and broke and tore it from my mutilated head. 
This horn, now heaped with fruits, delicious and sweet-smelling flowers, the naiads have held sacred from that hour, devoted to the bounteous goddess Plenty. All this the river god said. Then a nymph, a lovely nymph like fair Diana, dressed whose locks were flowing down on either side, came graceful to the board and brought to them of autumn's plenty in an ample horn, and gave to them selected apples for a second course. And now, as early dawn appeared and as the rising sunlight flashed on golden summits of surrounding hills, the young men waited, not until the stream subsiding had resumed its peaceful way, but all arose reluctant and went forth. Then Achelous, in his moving waves, hid his fine rustic features and his head, scarred by the wound which gave the horn of plenty. Loss of his horn had greatly humbled him. It was so cherished, though his only loss. But he could hide the sad disgrace with reeds and willow boughs entwined about his head. O oh, Nessos, your fierce passion for the same maid utterly destroyed even you, pierced through the body by a flying arrow point. Returning to the city of his birth, great Hercules, the son of Jupiter, with his new bride, arrived upon the bank of swift Evenus, after winter rains had swollen it so far beyond its wont that, full of eddies, it was found to be impassable. The hero stood there, brave but anxious for his bride. Nessos, the centaur, strong-limbed and well acquainted with those fords, came up to him and said, Plunge in the flood and swim with unimpeded strength, for with my help she will land safely over there. And so the hero, with no thought of doubt, trusted the damsel to the centaur's care, though she was pale and trembling with her fear of the swift river and the centaur's aid. This done, the hero, burdened as he was with quiver and the lion skin, for he had tossed his club and curving bow against the river to the other bank, declared, Since I have undertaken it, at once this rushing water must be overcome. And instantly he plunged in without thought of where he might cross with most ease, for so he scorned to take advantage of smooth water. And after he had gained the other bank, while picking up his bow, which was there thrown, he heard his wife's voice, anxious for his help. He called to Nessos, who was in the act then to betray his trust. Vain confidence! You are not swift enough, vile ravisher! You two-formed monster Nessus, I warn you! Hear me and never dare to come between me and my love! If fear has no restraint, your father's dreadful fate on whirling wheel should frighten you from this outrageous act, for you cannot escape, although you trust the fleet foot effort of a rapid horse. I cannot overtake you with my feet, but I can shoot and halt you with a wound. His deed sustained the final warning word. He shot an arrow through the centaur's back, so that the keen barb was exposed beyond his bleeding breast. He tore it from both wounds, and life-blood spurted instantly, mixed with the deadly poison of Lernian Hydra. This Nessus caught, and muttering, I shall not die unavenged, he gave his tunic, soaked with blood, to Dianera as a gift, and said, Keep this to strengthen waning love. Now many years pass by, 
and all the deeds and labors of the mighty Hercules gave to the wide world his unequaled fame and finally appeased the hatred of his fierce stepmother, all victorious returning from Ecalia, he prepared to offer sacrifice. When at Caneum, upon an altar he had built to Jupiter, but tattling rumor, swollen out of truth from small beginning to a wicked lie, declared brave Hercules, Amphitryon's son, was burning for the love of Ioli. And Dianera, his fond wife, convinced herself the wicked rumor must be true. Alarmed at the report of his new love at first, poor wife, she was dissolved in tears, and then she sank in grievous misery. But soon in angry mood, she rose and said, Why should I give up to my sorrow while I drown my wretched spirit in weak tears? Let me consider an effectual check, while it is possible. Even before she comes, invader of my lawful bed, shall I be silent or complain of it? Must I go back to Caledon or stay? Shall I depart unbidden from my house? Or, if no other method can prevail, shall I oppose my rival's first approach? O oh, shade of Maleager, let me prove I am yet worthy to be called your sister. And in the desperate slaughter of this rival, the world astonished may be taught to fear the vengeance of an injured woman's rage. So, torn by many moods, at last her mind fixed on one thought, that she might still keep his love, could certainly restore it, if she sent to him the tunic soaked in Nessos's blood. Unknowingly, she gave the fatal cause of her own woe to trusting Lycas, whom she urged in gentle words to take the gift. From her to her loved husband Hercules, he, unsuspecting, put the tunic on all covered with the Lernian Hydra's poison. The hero then was casting frankincense into the sacred flames and pouring wine on marble altars as his holy prayers were floating to the gods. The hallowed heat striking upon his poisoned vesture caused Echidna's bane to melt into his flesh. As long as he was able, he withstood the torture. His great fortitude was strong, but when at last his anguish overcame even his endurance, he filled all the wild of Ita with his cries. He overturned those hallowed altars, then, in frenzied haste, he strove to pull the tunic from his back. The poisoned garment, cleaving to him, ripped his skin. Heat shriveled from his burning flesh. Or, tightening on him as his great strength pulled, stripped with it the great muscles from his limbs, leaving his huge bones bare. Even his blood audibly hissed as red-hot blades when they are plunged into water. So the burning bane boiled in his veins. Great perspiration streamed from his dissolving body as the heat consumed his entrails and his sinews cracked, brittle when burnt. The marrow in his bones dissolved as it absorbed the venom heat. 
There was no limit to his misery. Raising both hands up towards the stars of heaven, he cried, Come, Juno, feast upon my death, feast on me, cruel one. Look down from your exalted seat, behold my dreadful end, and glut your savage heart. Oh, if I may deserve some pity from my enemy, from you, I mean, this hateful life of mine take from me, sick with cruel suffering and only born for toil. The loss of life will be a boon to me, and surely is a fitting boon, such as stepmothers give. Was it for this I slew Brusiris, who defiled his temples with the stranger's blood? For this I took his mother's strength from fierce Antaeus, that I did not show a fear before the Spanish shepherd's triple form. Nor did I fear the monstrous triple form of Kerberus, and it is possible my hands once seized the broken, strong bull's horns. And Ellis knows their labor, and the waves of Stymphalus, and the Parthenian woods. For this, the prowess of these hands secured the Amazonian girdle wrought of gold, and did my strong arms gather all in vain the fruit when guarded by the dragon's eyes. The centaurs could not foil me, nor the boar that ravaged in Arcadian fruitful fields. Was it for this the Hydra could not gain double the strength from strength as it was lost? And when I saw the steeds of Thrace, so fat with human blood, and their vile mangers heaped with mangled bodies, in a righteous rage I threw them to the ground and slaughtered them, together with their master. In a cave I crushed the Nimian monster with these arms, and my strong neck upheld the widespread sky, and even the cruel Juno, wife of Jove, is weary of imposing heavy toils. But I am not subdued performing them. A new calamity now crushes me, which not my strength nor valor nor the use of weapons can resist. Devouring flames have preyed upon my limbs, and blasting heat now shrivels the burnt tissue of my frame. But still Eurystheus is alive and well, and there are those who yet believe in gods. Just as a wild bull in whose body spears are rankling, while the frightened hunter flies away for safety, so the hero ranged over sky-piercing Eta, his huge groans, his awful shrieks resounding in those cliffs. At times he struggled with the poisoned robe, goaded to fury. He had raised great trees and scattered the vast mountain rocks around, and stretched his arms towards his ancestral skies. So, in his frenzy, as he wandered there, he chanced upon the trembling Lycas, crouched in the close covert of a hollow rock. Then, in a savage fury, he cried out, Was it you, Lycas, brought this fatal gift? Shall you be called the author of my death? Lycas, in terror, groveled at his feet and begged for mercy, Only let me live! But seizing on him, the crazed hero whirled him thrice and once again about his head and hurled him, shot as by a catapult, into the waves of the Ubiac Sea. 
While he was hanging in the air, his form was hardened. As we know, raindrops may first be frozen by the cold air, and then change to snow, and as it falls through the whirling winds may press, so twisted into round hailstones. Even so has ancient lore declared that when strong arms hurled like us through the mountain air through fear, his blood was curdled in his veins. No moisture left in him, he was transformed into a flint rock. Even to this day, a low crag rising from the waves is seen out of the deep Eubean sea and holds the certain outline of a human form, so surely traced the wary sailors fear to tread upon it, thinking it has life, and they called it Lycas ever since. But, O oh, illustrious son of Jupiter, how many of the overspreading trees, thick growing on the lofty mountain of Eta, did you level to the ground and heap into a pyre? And then you bade obedient Philoctetes light a torch beneath it, and then take in recompense your bow with its capacious quiver full of arrows, arms that now again would see the realm of Troy. And as the pyre began to kindle with the greedy flames, you spread the Nemean lion skin upon the top, and club for pillow, you lay down to sleep, as placid as if with abounding cups of generous wine and crowned with garlands, you were safe reclining on a banquet couch. And now on every side the spreading flames were crackling fiercely as they leaped from earth upon the careless limbs of Hercules. He scorned their power. The gods felt fear for earth's defender and their sympathy gave pleasure to Saturnian Jove. He knew their thought and joyfully he said to them, your sudden fear is surely my delight. O oh, heavenly gods, my heart is lifted up and joy prevails upon me. In the thought that I am called the father and the king of all this grateful race of gods. I know my own beloved offspring is secure in your declared protection. Your concern may justly evidence his worth, whose deeds great benefits bestowed. Let not vain thoughts alarm you, nor the rising flames of Etha, for Hercules, who conquered everything, shall conquer equally the spreading fires which now you see, and all that part of him, celestial, inherited of me, immortal, cannot feel the power of death. It is not subject to the poison heat, and therefore, since his earth life is now lost him, I'll translate, unshackled from all dross and purified to our celestial shore, I trust this action seems agreeable to all the deities surrounding me. If any jealous god of heaven should grieve at the divinity of Hercules, he may begrudge the prize, but we will know at least t'was given him deservedly, and with this thought he must approve the deed." The gods confirmed it, and though Juno seemed to be contented and to acquiesce, her deep vexation was not wholly hid, when Jupiter with his concluding words so plainly hinted at her jealous mind. Now, while the gods conversed, the mortal part of Hercules was burnt by Mulciber, but yet an outline of a spirit form remained. Unlike the well-known mortal shape derived by nature of his mother, 
he kept traces only of his father Jove. And as a serpent, when it is revived from its old age, casts off the faded skin, and fresh with vigor glitters in new scales, so when the hero had put off all dross, his own celestial, wonderful appeared, majestic and of godlike dignity. And him, the glorious father of the gods, in the great chariot drawn by four swift steeds, took up above the wide encircling clouds, and set him there amid the glittering stars. I love reading things aloud. I could have had another life as an audiobook voice actor. That much I've learned. <laughs> Fortunately, I basically to do that for all of you all the time, but I get to do it how I want, which means a lot of reading Ovid, because why in the actual fuck not? That Again, this one is so interesting. Like, as much as these were stories I've already told you, I really wanted to read to you these two aspects of Ovid, because I think you get just so much more from listening to them. We have... Dianera's Herodes, which is so unique and kind of gives her more agency, but also makes her more evil. It's definitely more anti-woman than Sophocles's Trachinii, but it's also just like, I enjoy her rage at the end as much as I don't enjoy it being directed towards Amphali or Ioli. It's not their fault, lady, but she does also recognize that Hercules is at fault. And then meanwhile, in the Metamorphoses, we just get this like great overview. We hear of his fight with the river from the river god himself. We then hear of everything that happened in between. Ugh, just so interesting, so unique. You can also see the Roman impact. I think they were even more keen on Hercules in a lot of ways than the Greeks were on Heracles. Just in different ways, too. You know, he was an incredibly important hero god for the Romans as well. So we have that kind of crossover. Ugh, just fascinating. And we do get that apotheosis that I mentioned in the last episode of Trachinii that we don't get in Sophocles. In Sophocles, it's all horror. It's all drama. They just die. And then here we get this take of, well, they, he died, but also he became a god which would just be, would make for less of an enjoyable tragedy, a play, whereas this is just the story, so you get a little of both. I could go on forever. It's fucking fascinating. I love reading stuff aloud to you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did, clearly. Thank you all so much for listening, as always. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela handles, God, so many things now. She's really a queen promos, YouTube, editing, research, love it all. Thank you, Michaela. And as always, the podcast is hosted and monetized by the nice people at Acast. I am Liv and I love this shit. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, Millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. 
This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.